See, entrepreneurship is the most fulfilling journey when it works and sometimes when it doesn't. So I think if you have a feeling that it might be something that you want to do, tend to it, surrender to the calling and figure out what it takes. Obviously, the odds are generally low and we've been incredibly lucky, right time, right place, right people, a bunch of these things. Welcome to the third episode of Untold Seed Stories, a mini podcast series under our Seed to Scale initiative, where we unravel untold stories from the first 500 days of some of the most successful startups in India that Axel is fortunate to have partnered with from the seed stage. In today's podcast, we chat with Sri Harsha Majethi, co-founder and CEO of Swiggy, a leading food delivery startup from India. Joining us live in the podcast recording are 250 plus students from Bits Pilani, Harsha's alma mater. Today, we start out with Harsha's early days at BITS and IM Calcutta, followed by discussing the untold stories from early days of Swiggy, how the team arrived at the idea and managed to differentiate themselves from competition by taking a logistics first approach. We cover everything from how they hustled during the initial days of operating in their first catchment of Koramangla to how hiring a strong core team in early days proved crucial in paving the success story later. We close the podcast by taking some interesting questions from the students, including learning about the origin of the name Swiggy, as well as how they've tackled the challenges that came with COVID. I really enjoyed chatting with Harsha and hope you enjoy listening to it as well. Thanks, Harsha, for joining. So we are virtually connecting you to your alma mater. So it looks like... Thank a you lot so of- much. A lot of students are following your footsteps and attending classes by attending uh-huh. to you. <laughs> so, most of them know you. So, I'm going to jump straight in. And today, we're going to spend most of our time talking about your first 500 days of starting Swiggy. But before we go into that, that will be the meat of our thing. And the last 15 minutes will be your Q&A. I just want to start out with a couple of fun questions. First one is uh, relating to your bits days, right? So... Maybe if you can think back, what has served you well? What you learned from your bits days as an entrepreneur? What's, what are the top things, one or two things that stick to you? Awesome. So firstly, thank you so much for having me and connecting me with my Halma Mater, Nanan. I think, uh, I think even when we last spoke for the one, one and a half hour session, I told you that the time at bits was the most formative time of my overall life. And that laid in a lot of foundations for who I am today, what goes into things I like, I don't like, you know, also has a huge bearing on even Swiggy's evolution as carries in large parts my own life experiences. And so, you know, really, really excited to be chatting with you all. And the one thing that I picked up the most out of bits, again, was a mix of not having attendance, a mix of there being so many more avenues outside of just academics and classes to explore oneself. And, you know, and this also is connected to resourcefulness in one way, because one, because without the pressure of just having to attend classes or something like that, then you're completely freed up and like controlling your own destiny and then deciding, okay, what do I do with this time? You know, finding these avenues in the various clubs or departments that that existed and, you know, mingling and learning from a lot of the people that, that are in these clubs and departments. So for me, 
One is, you know, being very multifaceted was something that Bits helped with a lot. And the networking opportunities that came by being a part of many clubs and departments is one part that has just stayed a part of me, which means that even today in the middle of many things or through the years of building Swiggy, just having this curiosity about many, many things at the same time has meant that I've managed to like be resourceful by networking with a lot of people who eventually kind of came to join us, came to partner with us, etc. Or let's say that curiosity extending into gleaning insights from various parts of life, not just strictly professional, and being able to kind of absorb them like a sponge and being able to figure out what is valid for my business. <laughs> so it. resourcefulness and networking, I guess, are two big things. Top things, got it. And another story that we talked about when we spoke last was your 4,000 kilometer bicycle trip. I can't even fathom that from Portugal to Turkey. And uh, maybe I want you to recount that. How, how did you come up with that idea? And what impact did that trip have on your life? Right. Again, funnily enough, the story begins in bits again. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, there were two or three of these holidays where we would go, you know, on large kind of larger kind of holidays where you would spend like a week, 10 days, etc. going far away from the campus in groups and having a good time and coming back. And some of the most pleasant moments for me in my life have always been, you know, on travel and letting the mind wander. And thanks to the flexibilities of BITS, I actually had a six month, almost consider it a break, which we call the thesis, <laughs> um, where I was kind of off campus and I was staying in Delhi, picking up some videography and filmmaking classes and mostly used it as an excuse to travel every weekend from Delhi to location at will. And that kind of really elevated my curiosity and interest in travel. And after that, I also started making some small trips alone in, in India. And that kind of one thing led to another. I got really interested by the backpacker culture and how you know they were able to live a different life, understand local cultures and explore a bunch of things uh, that were interesting. And after that, um, I made two, three trips. One was a long one to Southeast Asia for a month and a half, two months. Then I followed it up with another trip after Cal to South America for one and a half, two months, again alone and partly with a friend. And when the time came to quit my job in UK and uh, to come back to India, I knew that, you know, I'm either going to join a startup or do something of my own, something interesting, but I was already 25. So 25, 26, so I said, I have to commit this time. I can't just keep uh, being like this free radical. So I said, if this is my one last time, how am I going to spend these last six months of, you know, what seemed like at the time last six months before I commit to something truly. And I had some savings from my work in UK and I then said, okay, what am I going to do this time? And the last two, three times I'd already done this backpacking um, and you know, going through bus and through the big cities and exploring countries. And I was in the mood to do something slower, much slower pace and, you know, soak in the culture at an even nicer, granular way. And I thought that, you know, maybe cycling would be an interesting way to explore a beautiful region and imagine life at the slower pace. And that kind of, and I also accidentally happened to be fit at the time for cycling, <laughs> though, though I wasn't cycling a lot. So I hadn't cycled after 10th class and I bought a cycle like three weeks before my trip and just used it on the London roads and said, you know what, we'll figure it out and started the trip so forth. So it was a, I mean, my overall travel was six months, but three months of it was cycling from Portugal to Turkey. And they were one of the, I mean, they were easily the 
most special time um, that I've had for myself. I think was able to manage to throw myself completely out of my comfort zone uh, with languages I didn't speak. You know, being chased by sheep dogs down a hill, or uh, all such random things. I mean, for more than half the day, maybe sixty, seventy percent of the time, I was just using a tent. I had this cycle with the four pieces of baggage in the front and the back. I had my own tent. I had my own sleeping bag, and just really learned to enjoy all the. all the things that come with chaos and you know that tends to kind of build you up and build you stronger to a point where even some of the hardest times today feel like it's okay if you've been chased by these <laughs> animals that while you're kind of speed cycling down a hill how how much worse can things get will be fine so it just has created like a very zen feeling for me about a lot of things in life and i tend to find myself calming down easily whenever things go bad or things stay bad saying it's going to get better it's going to get better and this was something that um, i mean in the first 2 3 days of my trip i had a really hard time because of the newness to cycling and what i didn't plan for was that i'll be landing in portugal uh, in august when the temperatures were 47 48% i somehow missed this key detail I was actually almost uh, giving up on my trip on the first 2 days because i was completing my water supplies within every 25 kilometers and i was like screw it man i mean maybe we've told a lot of people about it but uh, i can't deal with this and then i happened to you know be hosted by this very kind stranger who basically talked about this whole philosophy of going uphill and going downhill and it was a lot more relevant in the world of cycling when you're in that region and uh, he just said if it's so hard then hitch a ride and go uphill and then enjoy the ride downhill by cycling back again and there are these simple things that just make you build strength and feel better and uh, not 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 be stressed about something you set out to actually enjoy so that i think is just you know there are many many stories from that journey but i think you know being zen in general and imagining that going uphill and coming downhill um, as a way of life all of these are small small learnings that you pick up from your experiences awesome so using that still in your entrepreneurial journey i'm sure yeah with that uh, let's jump into swiggy so maybe i want to ask two portions that one is how did you find your co-founders and then also the bundle journey into swiggy right those are the th- how were you want to take it because i don't know which came first the co-founders first or the i know it but i'd love for the audience to hear yeah, yeah. so overall as we know we have three co-founders there's me there's nandan and rahul and actually nandan and i met and were already working together before swiggy and rahul joined us just in time for the swiggy launch nandan was through bits nandan was through bits he was yeah. two years my junior at lani and uh, we were both in the department of photography your dopey to anyone <laughs> listening <laughs> and uh, we were really really good friends in fact small group of us from dopey did this tour called magical mystery tour like going through all of south india in a van where we took out all the seats and traveled for like 3 weeks just exploring so really close bunch of friends and when i came back from the uk i, I didn't have a specific plan b i dabbled with bunch of ideas that were going nowhere and then i decided to come back home and you know start from clean slate and that's when i started talking to nandan who was exiting a startup that he was doing at the time it happened to be his second startup already and we started jamming about opportunities in e-commerce and if there was an opportunity for us and one thing led to another we kind of naively agreed that consumer commerce was already a taken opportunity because amazon flipkart etc were already really big and we thought we'll 
built a shovel for the gold rush and we thought logistics was a nice shovel and we kind of sketched out that idea and that became bundle where we tried to help small and medium e-commerce sellers with logistics and we dabbled with that idea for uh, about 10 11 months before deciding to shut that down that was probably the best decision that we made of the last 10 years to shut down bundle because i guess we could have we were finding some early traction it would have been possible to just keep scratching away at it for a while to build a smaller business but i think we saw the opportunity cost then we said let's do something bigger and that's when we started thinking because we were in the logistics space we then started thinking about what other ideas were there in logistics and one thing led to another and got excited by this idea of urban logistics and that's kind of the formative nature for swiggy so we didn't start by saying hey food delivery is broken let's fix it it was mostly let's build an ultra efficient urban logistics solution and then see if we can build anything on top of it and that was the time when i also got connected to rahul our tech co-founder through a very good common friend he was working in mintra at the time and he got excited enough to leave and set up swiggy got it and and how did you fund yourself during this time finances pre funding days i mean we didn't need a lot of money because we didn't have a lot of action going on anyway uh, the first business didn't go too far and the only money we needed was for our own cost of living and an agency that we had contracted out the technology to so we managed all of that in uh, about 10 15 lakhs I had some savings from my job and that kept me going even through the first months of swiggy So this was the first first year or so how long was this period the bundle period prior to so August 2013 we started working on bundle and about June 2014 we stopped bundle and were already beginning to work on swiggy got it and you said you didn't like maybe talk us to the initial phase how did you land on food um i think once we decided that we were going to build this urban logistics platform we also because bundle was a b2b business and we weren't excited by this b2b you know way of life it was just not for us and we realized that we would probably suck if we built a b2b business again and we said it has to be consumer and in consumer i guess uh, with hyperlocal slash super fast delivery there were a few obvious candidates that stood out at the time we could have delivered food grocery pharmacy or you know use the delivery partner to move anything inside the city and all of these are things that we kind of dabble in today but at the time nandan and i were living the bachelor life and maybe the problem that we faced most acutely was getting food delivered from our favorite restaurant whenever we needed it there were multiple issues and whether it is a lot of restaurants didn't have a delivery fleet at the time a very different world from the one that we live in today and the ones who would deliver would say minimum 500 rupees otherwise i'm not delivering or even if they got past these two hoops the delivery quality itself was super patchy you'd be like rating a restaurant as a really good service provider if they delivered within an hour and we just couldn't understand why life was so hard when dominos had cracked it all and we kind of peeled the onion and found out that this is actually a relatively easily solvable problem if you just take this logistics first view and hack away at it and we said okay i think we will love it let's see if some others also might like it got it so this is a question that has come in from thanks to all the students have sent so when you started out and this is the same question we had for you like the initial seed investor i'm sure everyone asked you there were so many competitors out there right so there were well funded companies 
right? And how did you think of differentiating yourself? What was that, you know, wow experience that you talk about? How did you think through that? So I think maybe because we already approached this problem from the logistics first view, maybe it was easy enough because none of the other competitors were actually thinking about it the same way as we were at the time. So maybe we were even naive enough to not believe that they were real competition. Uh, in hindsight, maybe I would have done well to take it even more seriously. But uh, I guess just because the way of thinking was so different, we couldn't see how that problem was going to be solved in the way that everyone else were thinking. So we said, we just need to keep going ahead and do what we think is bare minimum experience for the customer. Maybe that kept us maybe like very blissfully ignorant of so what, uh, some of this. Obviously, we were in the middle of a competition. It had impact on our ability to fundraise. There was a land grab and we needed to grow fast and all of that. But the only thing that we did to differentiate was to just stay true to what we started and then not be tempted by anything else and just believing in this category is going to pop open only logistics first. Otherwise, there's no chance that this can become large. If we have to you know, kind of play the other game, then this category is not going to be large and maybe then we should come back to the drawing board and figure out something else to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, your simple insight for some of the audience, maybe they haven't ordered in the pre-Swiggy days, right? So in 2014, when we tried ordering stuff, you could get it maybe best case one hour, most likely one and a half, two hours. I mean, uh, restaurants that used to do okay at it would have it on their marketing collateral. One hour guarantee. (laughs) Delivery, yeah. One hour, like, you know, and it's almost like the comms would make you feel like they're doing you a favor. Yeah. And you guys said, I'll do it in half an hour, right? So that was your, yeah, right? Through these years, I mean, there have been, depending on the seasons, etc., there's been some ups and downs, but we've stayed close to the 30-minute mark in Indian traffic throughout these years. But in hindsight, it seems so obvious. Customers want food. But why couldn't competitors do it? Right? So what is the... I think multiple reasons. Maybe it is tempting to think of not doing the delivery as asset light and marketplace model and all the models that were already public or had, you know, come to scale in the world were all marketplace models. And there was no proof of first party or, you know, own logistics model ever getting built. All of these peers that we have today were getting built at the same time, which meant that maybe the popular going in opinion was, hey, maybe this is the leaner model, etc. But the mistake here is that these countries had a relatively more established restaurant delivery system even before platforms emerged. So restaurants had already begun to depend on delivery as a means. Even that, I mean, all of these countries, everyone's moving away from restaurant delivery to first party today, but the need was more acute in India. And maybe it was tempting to believe that this model is less profitable than that, but, you know, profits come once there are enough units. So we luckily managed to crack the units first and then what it took to make the model take. And you stuck to that, right? Saying that I'm going to solve the customer pain point, come what may. We'll solve the unit level economics later, right? So, which is tough for the incumbents to do when they are making a profitable business, right? right. So, maybe just talk us through your first hub. I think it was Koramangla. How did you bootstrap the supply demand? Like, maybe talk us through that aspect. Yeah, actually, you know, we started in very, very small scale just with Koramangla with anywhere between 15 to 20 restaurants and five to six delivery partners. And because we didn't have any way to help one consumer tell a good restaurant from the other, we just said, let's just pick only the good restaurants that don't actually deliver or have a problem with delivery so that the need is acutely felt and you know control the variables to get the answers for our experiment. 
and we went ahead and either partnered or in cases where they didn't want to partner we just buy their food and take photos at home and list them some of these guys we weren't even charging a commission and that's it we went and put the lights on and obviously uh, super hard to get users in the beginning because until april 2015 about 10 months maybe we or 8 9 months of starting we didn't have any mobile app it was just a website with these restaurants that were live and i think we did a bunch of things in the beginning we would go out to jyoti nivas college road which was in koramangala peak restaurant area and would go out giving handouts pamphlets to people flyers to people who were visiting the restaurants anyway it was a bit weird that didn't take off too much then luckily i had a friend in flipkart who i requested to i mean i requested a bunch of companies in koramangala through connections to see if they can spread the word or put it in their internal email list on day 3 this friend put out an email on this internal group of flipkart where the people share things called chatter.flipkart and you know suddenly we had like 35 people looking at the website on google analytics and we were like wow this is big how are we going to deal with it do we have enough delivery partners etc but that was the first wave people i would say that that was the first point we got you know teeny weeny bits of scale but was you know giant for us after that what started happening is i mean some of these users became repeat users they spread the word but once some of the restaurants realized that we were actually doing a decent job in service and they were losing this business otherwise they started asking us for hundreds of pamphlets and push really hard to their customers themselves and that kind of drove the flywheel some more got it and you got the restaurants you took the pictures also right so that was new so to put the most popular dishes as a photo and say you want right. to order we didn't have the full menu yeah. at the time yeah. we had this weird notion that everything should just be a photo and yeah. we just went and took the photos of the top 25 top 20 25 items that we thought were relevant we would ask the restaurant owner only for their view on it and would just show that okay and this was you nandan how many people at this time so until just- until uh, november december of a month of 2014 four, it was just yeah. yeah it was just me and nandan and the delivery partners okay and how did you get the delivery partners yeah i mean so we would split the job between ourselves i would I mean before launch nandan was doing the sales and after that he was chief customer or service officer and mm. he would also be the guy directing and managing the delivery partners if they were getting stuck as well as taking calls from customers or restaurants if things were broken and i would you know maybe quarter of the time be out doing deliveries myself or you know speaking to restaurants in the new area or you know giving pamphlets or some such silly stuff <laughs> sorry you have done more than 100 deliveries or so you yeah, said right <laughs> yeah, yeah and at night yeah. our favorite pastime would be we didn't even I don't know some of these things are stupid but we didn't even outsource like digitizing a catalog to someone else we would go and fill in the physical restaurant menus into excel sheets ourselves yeah. and they update these menus and it was just a you know two three member shop rahul would be in a separate room in this very small 2 bhk and he would just be coding away to save our ass from fires tomorrow awesome and how did you get the delivery partners during these time primarily through newspaper ads okay so getting to the first when did you know this was working that initial phase see honestly there was no way to tell it wasn't working from day one because we weren't 
I mean, today with the wisdom we have, we may look for these consumer metrics or cohorts or whatever <laughs> else. Back then, for us, the same person ordering two, three times in a week was a sign that it was working. We didn't know that it meant strong repeats or strong retention, but we could just tell that a few dozen people were absolutely eating out of our hands. And that was for us very, very compelling. And we heard no bad feedback either from consumers or restaurants. Both sides seemed to be really enjoying this. And we said, okay, this is fun. I think this might be it. Yeah. Um, and we thought that, okay, maybe a year and a half, we'll do 3,000 orders a day. Got it. Okay. I remember that phase. So yeah. when, when we had initially spoken, we were doing a few hundred or lesser orders. Yeah. But then even then your cohorts were very strong, right? So as in people used to order three, four times a month, which was pretty yeah. high. I was told right? about this concept of cohorts by some of the investors who look, you actually have good cohorts. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> so maybe that leads me to maybe if you look back, what are the top three things you did right during this phase? Because this is where you're setting the foundation, right? So how did you get, what were the key things? I think we managed to get a very kick-ass first few team members, core team members, a lot of whom continue to work with us today. And they all were thrown in the deep end as generalists to just pick up each fire and then chip away at it systematically. So I think hiring that first core team bunch was something that we just managed to do really, really well. I think that is easily the most critical part of our whole story. The story would have fully crumbled if it didn't happen. What did you look for in these people? I, I, actually, it so happens that a lot of these people came from first degree or second degree connections. I think it also answers a question that someone had saying, how did you manage to hire? And this is again where the years of networking in Pilani or in IMC came in handy. You know, a lot of my friends knew that I was a decent guy, someone people could tolerate working for and kindly referred to their friends who they thought were good. And just, you know, asking high bar friends to refer other high bar friends meant that a bunch of these really good people came over who were itching to do something in life. And we just happened to be right place, right time. And they ended up joining us. So that was, I guess, the number one thing, people. Number two was we got you on board. Uh, I'm just kidding. We got like all really the, all killer. The, all the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, we got, we were really lucky to have the investors that we got on board along with you and um, slash Elevation now and Norwest, you know, really, really solid partners who supported us in the years after and even through the chaos that was 2015-16. So that was number two. Number three was, I think, connected to number one, but what I would say I did well was to let people do their job. It's, uh, it's hard to let go when you're still young and you know trying to hold it by hand and i feel naturally because me and nandan were maybe lazy people we we found it easier to give it up and let people tackle these fires themselves and that also meant that we were able to move fast and respond to the market scenario so one and three are related right hiring the right people delegating letting them know and then funding was one but like looking why would you put your customer obsession because I remember you guys never cut the corner. You put, you were very clear on, I want to be the... That's not a 2015 flavor. That was also a 2014 flavor mm -hmm. and is also a 2020 flavor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's just who we are. And I was going to uh, mention some of these stories. I mean, for us, it was always really, really important. This whole customer service and, you know, doing right by the customer part. And that's just been a part of who we are. And that's something that we believed in on day one and did well to hold on to through the year. 
even though they were you know with scaling come like major hiccups and then we had to puff and pant and rein it in and get it back on track again yeah absolutely i think that's tough and if you think of what didn't go as per plan i'm sure not everything worked out and how did you handle it any lessons from there yeah i think a bunch of things right one i think we at some point we went from 30 40 people to a few hundred people in in a matter of 6 7 months and we obviously didn't know too much about and we had a maybe a very implicit unarticulated version of culture but we just we just lucked out that the few people that we trusted with the key responsibilities were the ones who went out and hired more people so it was more or less culturally aligned but it was still not clear and i think some of those things didn't go on well because as you scale that consistency in practices or you know ways of working etc was kind of wonky through the year and maybe that could have been dealt with differently the second thing was i think we took too long to get our uh, head of finance or head of hr in the company which meant it swingy was a bit of the wild west and i could have done with a little bit less of the wild west and you know we could have been a lot more financially prudent because we didn't even know where like everything was going in spend and we would find out like a couple of months later what our bank balance as of this month were i mean we were just crazily doing so many things going from one neighborhood to seven cities that it was just hustle 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 do hustle with good intentions but without like the right back end then you can go crazy pretty quickly so i guess maybe these are some things that we probably didn't do got it maybe some questions i've just thought of it so one of the things i've noticed is you are a constant learner like always have a growth mindset maybe that's one of your key strengths like how did you develop that or like for the students who are listening or or any entrepreneurs um i think it's just been a core part of who we are as co-founders and something that i've my biggest kicks have come out of curiosity and learning new things whether it was travel whether it was a new hobby i picked up so that was intrinsically just a part of who i was i mean you know unless you're improving every day you're not doing justice to the job that you had yesterday it's just super fun to learn and you know be better at what you're doing i mean there is this part of you know need to win play to win kind of mentality but the core way to play to win is to learn super fast otherwise you can just keep wishing to win so i guess this whole relentlessness about like needing to do better as well as the curiosity that we always had as a part of who we are it's a part, core part of swiggy core values as well always be curious always be learning got it and then you personally right so as a 25 26 year old most of this is new right you're doing it first time which are how like how did you pick up these areas did you talk to other people read things like what are your methods of learning um most of the stuff that i've uh, learned while building swiggy was either from books or from the people who joined us at each stage there have been really solid people who came and kind of showed me how it was done and you know wherever i wouldn't find easy answers i would just pick up a theme that i want to get better at and buy like you know half a dozen books and then just understand all i need to about the subject got it was that always the way you learned like reading a lot of books or is that something you picked up along the way i wish i did more of that earlier but you know even the few books that i read at the time or articles were already very very helpful at the time i was probably reading maybe 15 books a year in that 2015 year maybe even fewer but 
now it's it's you know a lot higher but they are my biggest source of entertainment and education got it so harsha is a prolific reader for those who probably don't know you as well and that's one edge you have and and also learning from the people you're hiring so you've always had a bar high bar and then constantly you up that bar also right so how did you do that like how did you know someone's good good enough let's say actually i mean even these people mostly you know they come with some functional expertise but also look for the growth mentality and the attitude to learn in them and if they had the basic functional expertise and minimum hunger i've seen people generally thrive and scale like crazy and i feel like when you're trying to second guess someone's decisions too much that's when you wonder if they're doing their job because naturally for me the instinct is not let me go in and fix it but my natural instinct is hey why am i needed to go and fix this mm. why isn't this person being able to do it themselves without me being behind their back and that's just meant that in the interest of my own time so that i can read more books and learn i wanted to make sure that the people i was hiring were going to be fine on their own awesome cool this is good this is the first 100 days so i want to go back to the students who are listening and i have two three questions and then want to take some of their questions so if you are at bits today mm-hmm. right so and for the students who are listening would you start up while in college or why, why not no, okay i wouldn't i would mm-hmm. i'm, I'm yes. very happy that i did the goofing around that i did for the first 25 years and i would have liked to explore a bunch of things I and mean, obviously if the calling is so loud then it would have been different but it wasn't clear for me even though like you know funny from red bus was already starting up in like 2008 and he happened to be a part of dopey and uh, like there was this whole uh, charisma or halo around people who were starting up but i i just didn't want to dive into anything early on in my life i said i have some time to figure out what i like what i don't like and i rather figure that out instead of trying to do something in a hurry i guess it was just just that for feeling of not wanting to commit that i would still have even if i were in college today saying i just want to keep trying or you know learning things and don't want to necessarily commit to things that's why probably i wouldn't even though the conditions are so fertile today um i would probably have like to chill out a little bit more got it sure so that aspect of it getting a little bit more out of life before starting up that makes sense but what if you have a compelling something that's keeping you up at night that you want to start uh, who knows but yeah. uh, i suspect it wouldn't have kept me up at night <laughs> got it yeah, and then maybe that leads to this next question how did working a few years right help you in your startup journey i actually worked only for the single year in um, an investment bank in london i think it helped me complete my regret minimization because this was one of the jobs that i thought was interesting because i was generally interested in mathematics speed math whatever and you know there's an opportunity to go abroad and do work on finance that theoretically excited me so that was you know almost the last shot for me even though it was the only job even in bits i didn't sit for placements because i couldn't find anything that i liked and this one thing i liked i luckily got an opportunity in london i got it on one of the best desks in the bank and i was so happy that i got all my answers saying this was the one thing that i wanted to try out and i tried it out and it doesn't give me enough zing so i'm never going to wish looking back if things could have been different that's a good point so you always talk about regret minimization right so maybe talk a little bit about that what's that framework obviously this is jeff bezos the guru's framework that uh, yeah. 
I am a big fan of. I mean, in general, I think having taken these steps at various various points has been, you know, core foundational part for my decision making in life as well. To just think about which decisions that you are making or not making, you are going to regret at a much later point in time. So, a lot of these decisions that I've made, whether it was quitting Bundle, the decision to make was, will I regret not working on something more exciting? because this can be a bounded something that may still be up you know something was was it easy choice will i have regretted building something useful at all or something big was a decision that i had to make when we were choosing to move on from bundle multitude of these choices even if that trip though that 6 month trip i think is a is one of the biggest things that i could have done to myself to even grow as a leader today very indirectly those are regrets and taking the chance and not worrying about too much else has been a core part of who i've been and who so, i wholeheartedly recommend regret minimization to everyone yeah so the question to ask is if you are 70 years old and looking back will you regret not trying it right is that the correct 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 that's yeah, the yeah, core yeah. framework one yeah. life and you got to keep trying and doing things before yeah it's okay to fail but you would have tried it right so that's that's awesome and then last question around this topic is uh, you went on to do an mba how did that help out on the journey for anyone thinking about those that choice as well no honestly it was just another two years of networking and though i learned a lot in bits all the core team members that i managed to hire in first year of swiggy were from imc so that way it was paisa wasool a million times and more <laughs> awesome and some of them are still there with you right so even right right five, right, yeah, right so Yeah, so the networking and people—that's one of the yeah, I mean, reasons to go to India. IMC also. was also a little chilled out among the IMs, and I was deliberate. I had other admits as well, but I said I can't go from a place that doesn't need attendance to a place that is going to kill you if you can't attend classes. So it was a nice transition. I mean, I'm very thankful. It gave me closure on the dream job aspect as well because it gave me the opportunity to go to London, work in a foreign country, you know, absorb cultures and. come back so total basa was so enjoyed my awesome. time there and got a lot you you were the placement coordinator or something like that right? yeah that also yeah. was uh, you know huge responsibility at the time interacting with multiple companies on behalf of uh, the student base it was the most important thing to everyone who were getting into b school at the time and that definitely had a meaningful bearing on my leadership skills how so like what's so difficult about i don't know anything about this particular no, it's a very so. serious pressure cooker moment and you have to display judgment in making sure that people are kind of finding the things that they need because it's a very boiler room kind of setup where in 3 4 days hundreds of companies come and hire hundreds of students and while you can solve some things with process a lot still leans on judgment and you know on the spot thinking about making a few shift changes here and there displaying tact with companies if they're giving a lot of pressure and interestingly uh, the way imcal worked was there was an eight member placement committee with no specific head it meant that this whole being able to work in a group and drive decision making together can be incredibly hard if it's by committee but surprisingly enough it worked out just fine when everyone was logical and not big headed about it so this very useful awesome Cool. So let's go on to some questions from the students and bitsians who are attending today. So Jessalyn asks, "How did you come up with the name Swiggy?" Ah, okay. 
two two beers at Arbor Brewing Company. We didn't we didn't uh, think too hard. What we knew that we didn't want any associations with um, either food or delivery because, as you know, like we said, we want to start out build this urban logistics platform, and we weren't sure at the time whether we were going to go broad into. delivery or i mean we did have an inkling that we may do go broad into delivery or go deeper into food so we said you know what let's not wed ourselves to an unscalable name let's just find the short and catchy name and we just kept throwing things until we suddenly said okay so you're you're swigging beers and came up with swiggy just kidding <laughs> this sound <laughs> yeah cool out of the blue yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> awesome that's good So Reemath Tawrani asks, "How do you sell your vision at a seed stage when PMF may not be very evident?" To, yeah, but vision doesn't need PMF, right? Vision just needs a story of, you know, dream outcome for one two consumers that you wish to pamper, and then try to find some math to believe that this can become a large business in a country like india it was not very large very outlandish to convince someone that um, this can be a big business food is a fundamental need and um, maybe we were too enamored by the opportunity so our vision was always around kind of building the dominoes layer on top of every restaurant and that was consistent with all our early pitches and it made a an easy enough way to understand what we were trying to build because dominos was very big and the restaurant industry was very big but delivery wasn't big so giving a dominos layer over every restaurant in one line captures the size of it um, as well as the vision of it all which is the same whether you're trying to sell the vision to a potential customer or or a restaurant or investor or, or employee anyone yeah, yeah all the same yeah but how important is selling a vision for a founder It's the most ladies. important thing. You'll go broke if you can't um, broke either because you can't raise money for it, or you can't get enough people to do justice to what you started. So that yeah. the most important thing that I've told you, even in our last podcast, storytelling. Yeah. Uh, founders like CEO, if they can't tell a good story, they will find it incredibly hard. Absolutely. And how important is to have a big vision versus. You talked about it a little bit, but to really when you say big vision, Anand, as in you talked about bundle versus Swiggy, right? So you could have built something versus touching, comparing to a McDonald's or Domino's, right? So right, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it comes down to personal interests. I have no nothing against lifestyle businesses or doing that because one of the first ideas that I came back to India was a backpacker hostel business. which would have made if it was wildly successful some 50 lakhs of profits in a year so it really kind of if you're going after the scale route and very big you want to build a very big company the biggest perk of building a very big company is a chance to work with the brightest people in the country that is the biggest excitement about being a large company and if that is what piques your interest then you have no other choice but to have a big vision otherwise keep moving on got it The next question is an important one. Chirag asks, "What motivates you in times when everything keeps falling down and everything seems lost?" First of all, have you been through such It times? It sounds a lot like this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This year yeah. hasn't been kind on anyone, and uh, you yeah. know you've been watching closely. Yeah. The industry was affected. It's getting better. So we've gone through some of the toughest times, and arguably the toughest time I've experienced in this journey. Otherwise, it's been relatively smooth sailing. 
so what do you do it's a mixture of two things right one if you are a very large company then uh, what motivates you is the responsibility to do right by as many people as you can in the middle of the storm whether it is the team members who joined you or the investors who invested in you a bunch of these aspects and maybe some of the time also you know the the real reason you started you know there's a mission that you began with and you have to do justice to that admittedly for me at least the responsibility part is bigger than let's say the you know missionary zeal when things are going really bad when things are going okay it's obviously like 90 100% missionary zeal and 10% like you know am i going to create returns for my investors or something like that but responsibility takes over you know vision and ambition when things are going hard at least that's how i found i could make myself tick otherwise it's hard to wake yourself out of bed and start the day got it so the other question related to that is you touched upon covid how did you and swiggy deal with the challenges that came with covid asta has this question right yeah swiggy's had a pretty painful year overall i think we're starting to believe the worst is behind us you know volumes are coming back and but when it all started there was a massive haze uh, it just so happened that last year was one of the biggest one of care like it was the biggest investment years for swiggy where we invested a lot of money into growing the category and suddenly were rewarded with our business coming down to 10 15% so i definitely felt on one out of two days that i might have been the biggest idiot with this kind of timing of investments to see where this is going and it was very clear that there was no clarity on when it would come back so i guess we had to make some really painful changes to prepare for however long it took for the category to come back and regain its glory because fundamentally we didn't believe that there was anything that was going to irreversibly impact the category and also we kind of accelerated our expansion on host of new categories to launch swiggy genie and to to launch like you know meat stores and groceries and fruits and vegetables stores in like bunch of other cities which would have otherwise been hard because i think for a few weeks in april may i think the government made it easier because we did, we couldn't run food delivery basis the rules which meant that to just to keep busy we had to organize the entire company and it was so easy otherwise it would need a lot of alignment to kind of some of these moves it lowing that waking up every day to deal with the avalanche of issues and i think i guess those were the big changes that we made overall to whatever get like a much higher runway and to expand our, our broader convenience offerings through the season got it so one question vipin asks is more uh, broader what are the basics that one should be strong in to become an entrepreneur how does one think that they're cut out for the job i think the biggest one is going to be resilience i think uh, you're going to get a lot of no's most of the things that you do don't work and you have to have that mental strength to see through some of this because this is all a, a part of the journey and different people deal with it differently and i think the this is the biggest thing that you need to see through all of this phase obviously there are other elements also curiosity i think is very important for entrepreneur you need to just keep tinkering away to to grow and make things bigger and bigger and bigger the more curious you are the bigger the horizon looks to a founder and the bigger the horizon looks the bigger the company gets built so i guess these are few things got it and if someone started out and they are on their journey lalit asks how do you build and preserve culture in the early days of the startup 
do you even think about culture in the early days and how do you preserve it no we didn't think too much about it there was some implicit code and we managed to hire a core team without like being articulate about which values they ticked and which values they didn't like we just ticked during the interview and said we'll do it we took about maybe two and a half years before we articulated our culture values etc as we faced growing pains and realized we needed to do more to make sure that our hiring was in line with the company that we wanted to build because when you build when you move too fast you'll have this situation of you know meaningful misalignment growing pains which doesn't make coming into office fun and that was the trigger for me that i said i had to obsess on the specific bit and make sure that i continue to have a lot of fun building this company over the next few years got it so would you recommend for someone starting out now to start thinking about culture early on or follow a similar yeah everyone should think about culture early on but they shouldn't they should be okay with taking the time to figure out what works for them and what doesn't if they've already worked in companies they may already have a sense of what cultures they enjoy or what values they don't and they may be having a better starting point but if you've not worked at like a real organization don't be too hard on yourself or don't try to figure it out early on just keep an eye out to see what patterns are working what patterns are not and kind of strike at the right time got it and ks asked a question around well, would you recommend as a startup to develop and test the mvp first or sell the vision and raise money first what comes first you don't decide that <laughs> <laughs> yeah unless you're a serial entrepreneur or unless you're really really top leader or someone who has a reputation in startups you can't choose without your mvp I mean, maybe times have changed now and people are willing to bet a little more comfortably but with us there it was a very easy choice there was no money without traction or you know even early product feedback in 2014 yeah so you had an mvp or a good basic product yeah yeah, case, yeah and okay. anyways we didn't want to take at the time funding for an idea we didn't know would work or not because that's what worked out well with us for bundle we never raised vc money and we managed to shut it down the day we decided to shut it down with you know no further deliverable so we were like you know let's first figure out if this thing is working and then let's go get other people on it got it okay viber was have you thought about international global domination i think we thought the strange thought keeps coming but it is a mature category in bunch of other countries there's still some few opportunities we evaluate from time to time but more importantly we think that this is a massive time for india as we go from uh, you know this tens of millions of internet consumers for commerce to hundreds of millions over the next 10 years and if we didn't think that the canvas that we have already offered us like an opportunity to build a very large company then we'd probably already be doing it but we think that either the canvas that we've already started painting on or the stuff that we have on our mind can help swiggy become a really large company so it won't be make or break for think of it maybe like you know the tatas in 10 years like you may have the jaguar land rover or the core steel but like the core is india india is just so fertile and it's such great timing to build large internet companies that can use the trust to build multi vertical that we just keep chipping away at it and let that keep keep us busy through the waking day got it so rishi asks what made you realize you're a b2c consumer entrepreneur versus a b2b oh that was easy right. yeah. i realized yeah. i wasn't a b2b guy 
<laughs> how did you realize that how does one go about that thinking through that particular one i i don't think there is a way to tell i think b2b also has this very selu mindset you have to go hustle hard and in categories that are not that can be sometimes commoditized then you're scraping out the last bottom of the barrel in terms of like the margins that you want and uh, everyone has their own needs you can build products maybe the version of me today may have a different answer at the time it was just pretty painful for me to deal with just b2b customers with their asks and trying to build things and we were not able to get like a price premium for the stuff that we were building then we were like boss maybe this is not for us we did not think that hey you know we are consumer guys we <laughs> did got it okay i think that brings us to my final question knowing what you know any advice you would give younger arsha who is starting out on the journey any words of motivation lessons whatever you want to tell no motivation i tell my younger version to get a finance guy earlier <laughs> okay <laughs> first yeah. wiggy sure. because i didn't know too much and that was detrimental and i think i would push myself to be even calmer and better behaved <laughs> in my first year uh, there were so many times when things were suddenly going crazy and i would have probably lost my cool not too proud of those moments i would have tried to be even more calm and even more zen during those times yeah i think these are the one two things that happened or maybe just one more follow up on that what what did you pick up along the journey which maybe in the third or fourth year like you talked about finance and also yeah, just actually the other thing is also this uh, this reading that i've done you know every year you read something that you wish that you somehow magically learned in year 1 because there are things that i learned in year 5 that would have accelerated some of the contribution margins slash unit economics goals by like 2 years such simple simple insights and it's a it is what it is you will keep learning and you will keep realizing that you were a stupid 2 years back but i wish that i did more of the reading and learning about fundamentally building businesses understanding customers in a more holistic way than saying just give them fast delivery and that is because until let's say because we were so unidimensionally focused on speed it took us like 15 months to realize that people cared about like selection at scale like we we did that best restaurants bit when we started but when you make like seven cities start there is no shared understanding of what is the best and that started to bite us we understood like i understood concepts like consumers willingness to pay is a thing you arbitrarily as a founder don't decide you know this is where i will charge and this is where i won't thinking about like the moments of truth for a consumer deeply understanding what makes for a good customer experience is something that is a work in progress for us even today at least like i was blissfully ignorant that i kind of got it so i guess these are all these elements i wish somehow i knew that i didn't know got it i said last person but really the last one any thoughts for the audience listening any uh, words for them about opportunities or whatever else any other thing you want to hand with yeah i mean see entrepreneurship is the most fulfilling journey when it works and sometimes when it doesn't so think if you have a feeling that it might be something that you want to do tend to it surrender to the calling and figure out what it takes obviously the odds are generally low and we've been incredibly lucky right time right place right people a bunch of these things so apart from that i would would actually just yeah i mean join it for the journey and teaches you a lot beyond just building businesses and creating value i think one of the biggest learnings for me has been empathy in a world where you know other people didn't really 
depend on me i could have gotten away with with a much lower level of empathy but entrepreneurship just forced me to understand it and oh empathy is such a such an amazing thing with applications even outside of work and that is you know for me the biggest takeaway out of this whole journey it's made me a better human being awesome on that note thank you arsha for sharing thanks. your journey as well as uh, a lot of words words of wisdom here appreciate it thanks everyone for joining from bits hope you all stay safe and healthy okay yes hope you enjoyed the chat with harsha from swiggy he took us through his experiences at bits and his travel encounters in europe and how some of the most offbeat journeys prepared him for the chaos that comes with starting up harsha said learnings from his journey things that worked and then things that did not along with tips for young entrepreneurs on key things to focus on like sustaining the curiosity and always having a learning mindset we hope that this candid chat with harsha provided you with the required dose of inspiration if you have some feedback let us know at on twitter at axel_india and visit us on c2scale.com/insights don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends who are thinking to build a startup our next episode in this series is with girish matrabodham founder and ceo at freshworks stay tuned for more updates thank you and stay safe